Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome to This Week in Production, the podcast. I'm your host, Art Aldridge, and this is episode 42. This week, I thought I would peel back the curtain and discuss my live streaming techniques. Before I get to this week's topic, I want to encourage you to send me your comments and feedback. Please email thisweekinproduction at gmail.com or call me on my Google voicemail. I'm not going to answer, but it's it's a voicemail box that you can leave a message. 601-564-TWIP, T-W-I-P, 601-564-8947. Like I said, I'd love to hear from you, comments, suggestions, good, bad, or whatever. You want to yell at me? You want to tell me I suck? Please, I welcome it. Okay, let's get back to this week's topic. I did a live event yesterday, May 6th, that you may have seen. It was called Workflow Wednesdays. We did it on the This Week in Production Facebook page, but we also did it in conjunction with Imagine Products. They make some software that I use in uh, my production work. So we did it with them. It was on their YouTube channel. We were on Periscope and Facebook. In terms of technology, it was a pretty good show. We tried out a few things, and I want to kind of pull back the curtain and give you a little peek as to what went on behind the scenes, because there is no on-site production right now for me. All my jobs are on hold. No one's traveling to do work, and it's all live streaming stuff that I'm doing now, trying to capture things remotely, which has its share of problems. I'll get into some of those later, but... I thought I would peel back the curtain and just talk about live streaming and some of the technology that I'm using and talk about some of the issues that come up as we're trying to deal with remote capture. First of all, if you're trying to buy a web camera right now, good luck. I think I mentioned this in a couple of previous podcasts, but ever since you know March 1, I would say the source of web cameras has been completely evaporated. You can't buy one at all, anywhere. So that becomes tricky because some, most computers, laptops, things like that have cameras built in, but a lot of times you're using a computer with a, you know, monitor, maybe a third party monitor. In my edit suite, for example, I've got those nice Apple 6K displays. There's no webcam built into those. So if you have a setup like that at home, uh, you might need an external webcam to do a web stream. So, you know, you can't buy one right now. I mean, there's a couple that are for sale, perhaps, that are a little more pricey or a little less desirable. But even those, I think, are extremely hard to get. I was lucky that I did manage to buy a Logitech StreamCam, which is a USB-C 1080 camera, great picture quality, nice little piece of software that comes with it if you want to do some recording and things like that. But it's 170 bucks, and it's it's really a nice picture. 
I tried in comparison, I bought a Panasonic 4K pan tilt zoom camera. It's a little camera. It's not like the normal robotic cameras that I use. It's a, a fixed PTZ, meaning the pan tilt zooming is all done with image manipulation on the sensor. So the camera head itself only tilts up and down and it's a small little camera. It's power over ethernet, which is nice. And it's HDMI out. And I think it might be USB as well, but that's the only connectivity on it. So I thought, oh, that might be better quality for me. I decided to buy it a thousand bucks, give it a try. Build quality is nice. Picture quality is noisy. I think maybe outside this would be a better bet, though. I don't remember if it has built-in neutral density or not, which could be a problem. But I wound up sending it back because this little $169 Logitech was way better than that $1,000 Panasonic camera. So, you know, your mileage may vary there. As a producer of remote streams, though, the camera is the first step in determining the quality. And not all webcams are created equal. Some are limited to 720. Some are even less if it's an older one. Some are not good in low light. Some can't handle the dynamic range in a room where you might have a bright backlight, which we all know tends to happen frequently. So Canon, in a step to try to you know maybe help their customers and get in the news cycle a little bit, released a USB capture component, a piece of software that lets you capture their EOS cameras as a webcam. The rub here for Mac users is that it, this software is Windows only. So if you have a Canon, I think it's like a 5D Mark IV or some of the newer EOS cameras, you can actually use one of those cameras as a webcam. The advantage there, of course, is that the optics are usually better than a webcam. The sensor is bigger. We all know that if it's a bigger sensor, it's better in low light. I haven't played with it, but obviously I think that's going to produce a very good picture. Now, in comparison, if you watched the Workflow Wednesday webcast that I mentioned before, I had Tom up in Cape Cod use a GH5 as his camera to capture you know, his uh, headshot, if you will. And that had to be done a little differently because the GH5 does not present itself to the computer as a webcam. Most cameras won't. You'll usually need some sort of go-between between the computer and the camera. In Tom's case, he used a little uh, Blackmagic Ultra Studio uh, mini recorder, which takes HDMI in and lets the computer see it over Thunderbolt. And then just because the computer sees it doesn't mean that you can use it as a webcam because, as I'll talk about in a few minutes, the software that I use to capture Tom's data and stream it back to me is called WebRTC. It's an open protocol. We use it a web browser. So the camera has to present itself to the computer as a device. And just hooking up the Ultra Studio doesn't do that. We actually had to 
we had to take a secondary step, which is using a piece of software called Wirecast and bring the camera in through the capture card as Wirecast as a source, and then take that source from Wirecast and use something called virtual camera. And virtual camera is what converts the the live signal from the GH5 into something that the computer will see as a webcam resource. And then it becomes available to things like Zoom or Skype or anything that uses that, you know, built-in web camera interface. So that was a little tricky and Tom had some issues getting that configured. And I think that has more to do with the Blackmagic drivers in Catalina perhaps, but that is a workaround if you're trying to do web streaming and you don't have a webcam, you want to try to use something that you already have, that might be an option. In terms of software to produce the stream, I've, I've had one main tool that I've used for the past, you know, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, which was Wirecast. And on a Mac, Wirecast used to be the only game in town. And it's it's very good software. It's not cheap. It's about $1,000 to purchase. And now they've got this subscription model where you pay $100 a year, but they update it all the time and you get the updates within your subscription period for free, which I think is good because then you don't have to wait for a big feature release so they can sell a new version. But some people got put off with the price, but really on a Mac, that was it for a long time. And now, uh, in the last, I'd say, year, there's been a couple of new players in the game. OBS, which means Open Broadcast Software, is an open source program. It's been around for quite some time. I've used it. It works great. It's a tool set. It's not very elegant or sophisticated. It lacks some of the polish that Wirecast has. It does most of the same things. So if you want something for free that you can stream, you know, from capture, you know, sources in, switch, you can do it. Again, not my cup of tea, but it is free. And I've used it when I needed just to do a like a retransmission of a stream or something, and I didn't have another license of Wirecast. I've used it for that stuff, and it's great. It's fine. There's actually a commercial release from Streamlabs of OBS, which is a little more polished, but not quite on the level of Wirecast, which is still available for free. I'm not sure what they're planning to do with that, but that's also another variation. But now there's two commercial products that have come to market. I was really never even aware of them. Uh, the first one is called Ecam Live, and the company that makes it is called Ecam. I know of Ecam going back to the days of Skype, because Ecam was a little plugin for Skype that would let you record the Skype video and audio inside of Skype, because Skype didn't used to let you do that. And if you were trying to do something where you wanted to do a Skype interview and record it, it was like tricky. And Ecamm was a little commercial plugin that you could buy that would let you do that. Now they've got a software program called Live, which lets you uh, do streaming. I have not used it. I've seen some people use it. Richard Taylor over at uh, Final Cut Pro TV uses it, I know. 
It has a couple of things that look slick, but again, I haven't tried it. The other program that's out that has probably been around for a while, though it's new to me, is a program called Mimo Live. And it's made by a company called Boinks Software. I think they're out of Germany. And their program intrigues me because it has some very powerful features. Uh, different than Wirecast. It's, it's a different interface. It's built on Quartz technology. It uses all the Quartz layers to do some really cool stuff. The one thing that caught my attention, though, about uh, Mimo Live is their WebRTC client. WebRTC is a, or like a real-time communication protocol, lets you capture video from the system and audio, send it through the web browser to a target, like my streaming software. But it also allows a return picture, the program out, if you will, to be sent back to that browser. So the person sitting at the presenter system uh, can see the show in, I don't know if it's exactly real time, there's a little bit of delay, obviously, because it's going through the web, but it's a way to do that two-way communication without any fancy software. This WebRTC thing is something that other companies use. Zoom uses it, you know, everyone uses it because it's, it's open source and it's built into the newer uh, browsers. But their variation of the WebRTC client, they call it Mimo Call, it works really well. Now, Wirecast has had WebRTC component. They call it Rendezvous. It has never worked for me. It's always been a train wreck. It's delayed or it's choppy. I've just never been able to get it to work. The Mimo Call like literally just worked instantly. I mean, there's a little bit of configuration for the user in the sense that you have to allow the camera to have permission. You have to allow the browser to use the microphone. And sometimes that gets a little tricky for users, but you know, that happens no matter what software you use. But otherwise than that, it works really, really well. Like I said, the interface in Mimo is different than Wirecast. Now, Wirecast is very traditional in the sense that it's kind of like a uh, a mix effects bus on a switcher, a traditional switcher if you come from that world, where you have five layers, and each layer can have an unlimited number of shots, and but each layer's got a hierarchy, and then you can click the buttons and switch them, and it's like, like I said, like a mix effects bus on a switcher. So it's, it's more of a horizontal and vertical process. The Mimo is more like a Photoshop layer stack where it's only one set of layers vertically. And then obviously stuff on top um, is got higher priority than stuff underneath it. And that's a little weird, but it has like just really well thought out features that like Wirecast lacks, for example, I can put a either a video clip or what they call a playlist, which is a collection of clips, as a layer. And then you can tell it when that layer is done playing, turn the layer off. So if you're trying to do like an open and you want to have the open go into your first 
shot again like sometimes when you're flying solo as the technical director and the host and the interviewer you know pushing a lot of buttons and still trying to look at the camera is tricky so just that simple thing like playing the layer have it dissolve off and come to whatever layers on underneath it that's a nice little feature so i've been playing with mimo a lot i like it it's not perfect but it certainly is got its purposes the only disadvantage i think to mimo right now is its pricing model is a little odd now if you don't own wirecast right because wirecast would cost you a thousand bucks and then a hundred a year to maintain it mimo is straight seventy dollars a month so if you hadn't already invested in a piece of software mimo might be a good choice 70 bucks a month it would take you about a year to hit that same thousand dollar price point a little more than a year um but you then will pay that in perpetuity whereas you know wirecast after that initial thousand bucks it's only about a hundred dollars a year to maintain the license now i will say this the mimo people boink software seem like they're a smaller team i think it's a family like a brother and a son or whatever um it's not a big company like telestream is but their development cycle is much more rapid so i do see them working on new features and updates and fixes and like the development cycle is a lot shorter and they can obviously focus more attention on on doing things so that part i like i've already bought two licenses of wirecast so I have to really evaluate whether another $70 a month is worth it. I think for certain jobs it is, but your mileage may vary. The other thing I like about the uh, Mimo product is that it does not use a lot of CPU or GPU. Wirecast, I've had issues at times where it gets overloaded. Like if I start doing ISO recording, and I start doing program recording, and I'm streaming out, like it can bog itself down. Mimo seems to be written differently, maybe because of the quartz layers and things. It does not use a lot of horsepower to do its things, which is a big, big plus. Another little feature that I like that Wirecast, it doesn't lack, but it's not integrated into the product, is the ability to use social comments as graphics in the web stream. For example, if I'm on Facebook Live and someone types in a comment, in Mimo, there's a little plugin layer, a quartz layer that will let me read that comment with the user's profile pic and all the text, and I can bring it in and present it as an on-screen graphic, and it's really simple to do in uh, Mimo Live. I know Ecamm has something I've seen Richard Taylor, Final Cut Pro TV, use it with Ecamm, but again, I haven't played with that one. But in Wirecast, that is cumbersome because you have to use their third party software that they provide you a variation of it like a light version it's called title or live and then what you do is you have to build a graphic in there which it's a clunk it looks like a windows port to mac of this graphics package it's the whole interface is windows like i don't like it as a Mac user. I got tricked into actually buying the upgraded version because I wanted to do some of these social comments 
and that was kind of before I knew about Mimo. So I actually spent another 400 bucks to get the upgraded version, and I, I don't like it. It's clunky. It probably is powerful, but you have to be committed to using it, and I'm not sure. I mean, I own it now, but I, I haven't really used it a lot. So I had all of these pieces going for this webinar, like I said, that we did yesterday. And, you know, in terms of producing an event like that, um, there are a few things that can really poke a hole in your plan. And one of the big holes is internet bandwidth. And I've talked to a lot of friends and colleagues that are obviously working from home now. And bandwidth is a big limiting factor. Um, we had one webcast we were doing. It wasn't really a webcast. It was a Zoom uh, recording that I've been doing. I'll talk about that a little bit in a minute. But the client working from home didn't have the bandwidth to see the whole Zoom meeting because they live in an area where they can't get good quality internet. And this is like in a major metropolitan area like, you know, Metro New Jersey. So, you know, it's, it's a problem. Now, I'm fortunate that where I have my, uh, my home office, I can get uh, Verizon Fios. I've had it forever since they first put it in. And it is basically a direct fiber line to the central office. And it was unplanned, but very fortuitous of me. I just upgraded the line. I had 50 by 50 that I was paying, you know, a good amount for, but I had static IPs and all this stuff. And I called them up in February and I said, I want to upgrade the speed of this line. And I was able to go from 50 by 50 to 500 by 500 for only another, I think, $25 a month. So I was already paying a lot. I was paying about a buck and a quarter. Now for a buck fifty, I had ten times the speed. So I did that right before all of this craziness hit, which was good fortune for me. So that line allows me to do a lot of lot of streaming and inbound, outbound stuff because the the streaming side of things, right? You have to calculate your bandwidth. Uh, the WebRTC clients that I was talking about, you know, they might be anywhere between two and three megabits of um, data per connection. So for the show that I did, there were eight inbound WebRTC feeds, and each one needs three megabits. So that's 24 megabits coming into me. And then I'm using... Uh, four stream targets at anywhere between four and six megabits. So, you know, it adds up. That could be 50 megabits right there, just uh, inbound and outbound. And if your uh, internet connection is not up to snuff, you can't do it. Um, you can also get into a situation, and I've seen this, where, you know, your computer network, again, maybe it's at home where you don't have either the newest equipment or you don't have a network that's fast enough, you might be on very typically a 100 base T network. There's a lot of, you know, problems in getting speed through. So if you're all of a sudden doing 50 megabits of streaming uh, 100 base T network, that's going to be a problem. You know, gigi, gigabit Ethernet is certainly better. Um, 
but you need a router that supports like there's all these little pieces that you have to start thinking about again maybe at the office that's already been done for you you have to think about it so much but at home you do have to start thinking about these things so i was using my mac pro my brand new 2019 mac pro to do this particular live stream show and i gotta say the thing was a beast a beast because i had as I said, you know, eight inbound uh, WebRTC feeds. I had four outbound feeds. I was doing, uh, I had two USB capture cards. I had a Blackmagic Ultra Studio capture card bringing in my laptop, which was feeding out Keynote. I had another a GoPro coming in via an AJA HDMI USB 3 capture card. And then I had my Logitech Streamcam as my camera on a USB-C. And I was bringing all those into the Mac Pro. Plus I had my MixPre 3 as an audio interface. And the thing is a beast. I didn't even blip the GPU. I think 7% was the max that it hit. And the CPU was barely moving. And that was impressive because I've done shows mainly on my laptop in Wirecast where the CPU usage and the GPU usage were too high to continue. And that happens, especially when you're trying to record these sources. Um, you can obviously record your program out. You can also record the inbound feeds as ISOs. And that's important sometimes if you're going to edit the show after or you want to cut it down. You want to record all those sources, all those pieces. And that takes um, CPU and GPU horsepower. Mimo didn't even blink at doing that. I've had issues in the past with Wirecast where it just can't handle it. It gets too high. You start dropping frames and that's a problem. So these are all things that you have to think about and certainly test out before you get down the road of doing your show. If you are in a scenario where you don't have a lot of outbound bandwidth, you can use these restreaming services to send your stream out to multiple destinations. I played with one last week called Easy Live. I think easylive.io or something. Um, but that's basically a restream service. You set up one outbound target from your computer, RTMP, to a you know a service that they provide a link. They give you to their server with a stream key, and you you send one stream to them. And then in their web interface, you set up your targets. You can go to YouTube, you can go all these places that you wanna to go to. And then they're handling all that bandwidth on their end. And of course you pay for that. I don't remember the pricing. I only did it as a trial just to see if it worked. They do give you some other tools that maybe I would explore down the road, like switching in the cloud. Though, again, I'm not looking for that right now. The only thing with these services is that you do have to put your credentials into their platform for your other channels. And for some jobs like corporate clients that I have, that's going to be a no-go. Not going to be able to do that. 
So for me, having the bandwidth, having the horsepower to do multiple streams out of my studio is, is a huge plus. From the control room side, you have full control over stuff that you're doing because you're building out your studio. But when you need to bring your remote guests in, that's a whole nother story because the burden is on the presenter to know how to get themselves set up. And as much as you can provide guidance, it's not always easy. With the WebRTC client, yes, it's a web browser. You give them a link, they open it, and it connects to me. But they need to allow the browser to see the camera and the microphone. And again, that can be a little tricky, especially if they've got more than one uh, audio source or they have might have a webcam and a built-in camera. Like, you know, they have to do some configuring. And then like on the Mac, if you're on Catalina, there's a whole suite of system privacy tools meant to protect you that do get in the way of allowing these things to access the tools. And it can be tricky. I always recommend that we get on and do a test ahead of time because if you're trying to do it a few minutes before you start to go live, you may run out of time to get them up and running. We've been doing these corporate, you know, they're really remote presentations. We're using Zoom as a remote capture platform, which is not meant for that. It's it's a terrible, terrible tool for quality, especially now because they're they're overloaded and they're basically running, you know, video at 640 by 360. But it does work because corporate firewalls usually allow for Zoom to get through where my little web RTC links are getting blocked. So that's another little tricky part. And that's why I recommend you test ahead of time so that you can make sure you work through those networking issues, the camera issues, the permission issues. So yeah, the network part has to be has to be figured out in advance. The other problem we have with remote guests is lighting. Usually they have a big window without any sort of diffusion behind it. And that of course will affect the camera's ability to capture a good image. And if they close the window, sometimes it's too dark because they don't have any light in front of them. So, you know, those are things that I like to get on with the corporate clients. We're trying to do it a day in advance. Again, these execs, sometimes it's hard to get on their schedule and all these things, but we, we try and make an effort to get the lighting set. Okay, move your chair away from the window. Maybe you can face the window with your, you know, computer pointed the opposite way, or maybe you can use a light. Maybe it can be a desk lamp. It needs a dimmer. You need to move it further away. These are all little things that you can do to make it work in practicality. But a lot of times that has to be thought out. They're not always going to know to do these things. Likewise, very simple things like the sight line. A lot of people keep the laptop on their desk, they're sitting above the desk by what, two or three feet, depending on how tall you are. You're looking down usually at that webcam, which is not always a good angle. It's always better to get the camera up at eye line. In my little uh, setup with my easy cam, 
I bought a little tripod that sits on the desk that raises up the stream cam to eyeline height. It was like a $20 uh, tripod, nothing fancy, but perfect because it could sit behind the desk. I was fortunate to find another hard to get item, which was an LED light. In my office, I do have a window, but obviously the window's only good if you're in the daytime. The window's in front of me, so it does put some light into my face, but it's not even. It's, it's you know, modeled on one side. So I picked up an Elgato Keylight Air, a product that is, again, sold out everywhere. I got lucky. I found it on Best Buy just by chance because I had been looking for one. And I even on Best Buy, I couldn't find one for a few weeks, and I kept checking back. And one popped up, and I grabbed it. It's about $130. It's an LED light. It has a small weighted base. It extends up, you know, three feet. You can angle the head. And then you bind it to your network via a mobile phone. But when it's connected to your Wi-Fi network, you get a little app for your Mac or your Windows computer that you can control the light in terms of color temperature and luminance output. It's pretty slick. And it's, like I said, pretty inexpensive. And, and it is makes a big difference in your quality of your camera presentation. So these are some of the things that I'm doing with software and hardware to do my live streaming. You can watch the event that we just did on Facebook at This Week in Productions Facebook page. It's also on YouTube on Imagine Products YouTube page. Give it a look, see what you think. Be happy to talk more about live streaming and technology. Would love to hear what you're doing if you've got some interesting products or usages. Stay calm, stay sane, get out, get a little fresh air, drink some tequila as I'm about to do, and we'll see you next week. Do you have something to say? Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601-564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on this week in production. Thanks for listening.